Grace to you and peace from God our Father and the Lord Jesus Christ. Good morning. morning. It's nice to have a good strong organ to make sure that we're gathered together, to make sure that we're awake, to make sure that we're present to the living God whom we are here to worship. I extend a welcome and a greeting to all of us who are gathered both here and virtually online, some live and some at some other time of the week, who knows when, but we still are gathered within the love and power of a gracious and almighty God because we have come to worship. So let us be called together in worship with timeless and true words as we read responsively from the 100th Psalm. Shout for joy to the Lord, all the earth. Know that the Lord is God. It is He who made us, and we are His. Enter His gates with thanksgiving and His courts with praise. Give thanks to Him and praise His name. Friends, let us worship God. Each of us is responsible for the way in which we live our lives. Oftentimes, as individuals, we go astray, we are not obedient, we sin. 
as a community, we are bound together and finely woven to show the love of God. But even as a community, we often fail in sin. That's why we're called as a community to confess our sins together and be assured of God's forgiveness. Will you please join me as together we read the prayer of confession. Gracious God, our sins are too heavy to carry, too real to hide, and too deep to undo. Forgive what our lips tremble to name, what our hearts can no longer bear, and what has become for us a consuming fire of judgment. Set us free from a past that we cannot change. Open to us a future in which we can be changed and grant us grace to grow more and more in your likeness and image. Through Jesus Christ, the light of the world. Amen. Hear now these words of assurance. The mercy of the Lord is from everlasting to everlasting. I declare to you in the name of our Lord and Savior, we are forgiven. May the God who gives us grace fill you with the Holy Spirit and be with you now and always. Amen. Now may the peace of Christ be with you. Go out and share that peace as you turn to one another and share that peace any way you'd like. Bless you. If you'd like to share peace with me, let me suggest small unmarked bills is a good way to do that. <laughs> that wasn't in the script. I just came up with that. <laughs> Friends, there are lots of ways that we share the peace of Christ, lots of ways that we grow and serve in the life of the church. So let me mention just a couple of the many things that are going on. After this service, about 15 minutes after we are finished, we will gather back here in the sanctuary for a chat with Jack. So many of you have had comment and response about the sermon a few weeks ago concerning the uh, story of the Good Samaritan that we thought it'd be a great chance simply to have the opportunity to ask some questions, have some conversation and comment. So let me encourage you following the benediction and after listening to the organ postlude, if you'd like to take a few minutes to step outside, grab a quick cup of coffee and a donut, don't bring them back in the sanctuary please, but then come back in and we'll have a time together for conversation. Let me remind you that this coming Saturday we'll be taking a group down to Mexico to build a home with the Moore Ministries. If you'd like to participate in that very fulfilling exercise, you can be in touch with Patrick Singer using the email address that is in the emails that I have been sending to you for the last several weeks. Next Sunday, we will welcome Ray Hanan here with us. Ray is part of the ministry of Sat7. It is a ministry where uh, the gospel message, where Bible lessons and stories and teaching and many other things in the life of the church are broadcast throughout the Middle Eastern world in Arabic and Turkish and in Farsi. And we know that the church is growing in the Middle East, actually, partly due to the uh, ministry of Sat7. Ray will be here to share with us briefly in worship, but then we'll have a time after worship to share and talk more. So I would encourage all of you to linger as long as you are able to learn more about that very, very effective and pivotal ministry going on now in the Middle East. 
Well, let me put on a different hat for just a moment and begin to speak with you about the fact that today is the beginning of our traditional season in church life when we think with each other and pray with each other about how it is that we're going to support the life of the church in the coming year. And I want to begin by telling you about an experience that I had last night. Helen and I had the chance to attend two different events that just happened to be filled with church people. It seems that no matter where we go, we cannot get away from you. You're everywhere. And that's okay with us. I've noticed that in conversations with church people, especially over the last few months, that the typical conversation goes in very, very predictable ways. First of all, it begins with a statement like this, it is so good to see you again. We haven't been with you in such a long time. Or maybe it's so good to actually see your whole face. We were getting tired of the top half of your face. Now we enjoy seeing the bottom half or the whole thing. The conversation then moves to a question. How have you been in the last 18 months or so? And then it turns to where we are looking forward in the future. We hope we're near the end of all this pandemic mess. We hope that we can return to normal. And then usually it turns to expressions of love and, and faithfulness and support as we talk with each other, as sometimes we hug each other and we say, it is simply so good to be together again. Our theme for this year's stewardship campaign is together in hope. Hope is one of those words that we think of so often along with a couple of other words in the Christian lexicon, faith and hope and love. Paul mentions them in the 13th chapter of his first letter to the Corinthians. Faith and hope, we'll leave aside for the moment, but let's talk about hope. Hope is what keeps us going. Hope is what points us to God. Hope in Jesus Christ is why we're here. Not only hope for an eternal life with God, but hope for a blessed and abundant life here and now. Hope is one of the essential things that Christians believe, that Christians enact. It is one of the things that feeds our souls. Oftentimes we give up hope though, when we are alone or when we feel alone. Studies have shown that many times when people feel the need to attempt to take their own lives, it's because they feel there is no one with them in life. They give up hope. And so being together with others is one of the things that continues to engender the hope that we have and the hope by which we live. And so we're focusing on that simple phrase in the next few weeks, that we are together in hope. We are together in the life of this church, whether we are physically present in worship or other events and activities during the week, or whether we are present online and all of the different electronic means that are now available to us. We are together because we realize that our Lord and Savior and Master, Jesus Christ, called us to be together and expected us to be together as the family of the church. The church is that place 
where we teach about Jesus, where we worship God, where we engage in the mission of God, where we do all of the things that Jesus taught us to do and that still are indispensable for us to do if we are to have hope and share that hope with such a hopeless world. Tomorrow, we hope that the United States Postal Service will deliver a letter to you. Some of you might not actually remember what a letter is. A letter is a piece of paper folded up to make an envelope. Within the envelope, there are other pieces of paper like this letter right here, a letter from me, a letter that is written from the leadership of our church. I'm showing this to you so that you don't throw out this letter with the other 99% of the mail that you get that is frankly not worth reading. This is worth reading. It's worth praying about. It's worth considering as an opportunity for you to express your hope in the life of this church and in the life of the church everywhere. Hope that we will continue to be strong throughout this challenging season of life Hope that we will always remain together in the life of the church. This letter will offer you an opportunity to put legs and arms and hands and hearts into the hope that we have as we support the life of our church, not only financially, but in so many different ways. My hope is that you'll spend some time thinking and praying and then respond generously so that we can continue to be a place that is filled with hope and therefore a place that is filled with light and promise and love for the world that so badly needs it. Remember, we must remain together in hope. God bless you.
With sure and confidence in God's love and hope in Jesus Christ through the Spirit, we come to the living God with our prayers of thanksgiving, prayers of intercession. Let us look to God in prayer. God of heaven and earth, through Jesus Christ, you promise to hear us when we pray to you in his name. Confident in your love and mercy, we offer our prayers. Lord, in your mercy, hear our prayer as we ask you to empower the church throughout the world in its life and witness. Break down the barriers that divide, that united in your truth and love, the church may confess your name, share one baptism, sit together at one table, and serve you in one common ministry. Gracious God, we pray that you would guide the rulers of the nations, move them to set aside their fear, greed, and vain ambition, and to bow to your sovereign rule. Inspire them to strive for peace and justice, that all your children may dwell secure, free of war and injustice, hunger and poverty. Renew our nation, we pray, in the ways of justice and peace. Guide those who make and administer our laws to build a society based on trust and respect. Erase prejudices that oppress. Free us from crime and violence. Guide our young people from the perils of drugs and materialism. Give us all a new vision of a life of harmony and peace. Strengthen this congregation in its work and worship. Fill our hearts with your self-giving love, that our voices may speak your praise, and our lives may conform to the image of your Son. Nourish us with your word in all its forms, that we may faithfully serve in your name, and witness to your love and grace for all the world. Look with compassion, we pray, on all who suffer. Support with your love those with diseases and ailments of various kinds, those unjustly imprisoned, those denied dignity, those who live without hope, those who are homeless and houseless or abandoned. As you have moved toward us in love, so lead us to be present with them in their suffering in the name of Jesus Christ. Sustain those among us who need your healing touch in mind, body, and spirit. Comfort and abide, O Lord, all those who have experienced loss recently. O God, in your loving purpose, answer our prayers and fulfill our hopes. In all these things for which we pray, give us the will to seek to bring them about. For the sake of Jesus Christ, who taught us to pray, our Father, who art in heaven, hallowed be thy name. Thy kingdom come, thy will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Give us this day our daily bread and forgive us our debts as we forgive our debtors. And lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from evil. For thine is the kingdom and the power and the glory forever, amen.
I'm often tempted to ask the choir to do their music again, but then you'd get spoiled and you would expect only to be hearing the music. But the music says so beautifully some of the things that we need to talk about today. Before that, we need to listen to God. So let me invite you to stand with me now as you are able so that we can give our full attention to the reading and hearing of the Word of God as we find it recorded in the second letter to the Corinthians. Now it is not necessary for me to write you about the ministry to the saints, for I know your eagerness, which is the subject of my boasting about you to the people of Macedonia, saying that Achaia has been ready since last year and your zeal has stirred up most of them. But I am sending the brothers in order that our boasting about you may not prove to have been empty in this case, so that you may be ready, as I said you would be. Otherwise, if some Macedonians come with me and find that you are not ready, we would be humiliated, to say nothing of you, in this undertaking. So I thought it necessary to urge the brothers to go on ahead of you and arrange in advance for this bountiful gift that you have promised, so that it may be ready as a voluntary gift and not as an extortion. The point is this. The one who sows sparingly will also reap sparingly, and the one who sows bountifully will also reap bountifully. Each of you must give as you have made up your mind, not reluctantly or under compulsion, for God loves a cheerful giver. And God is able to provide you with every blessing in abundance so that by always having enough of everything, you may share abundantly in every good work. As it is written, he scatters abroad, he gives to the poor, his righteousness endures forever. He who supplies seed to the sower and bread for food will supply and multiply your seed for sowing and increase the harvest of your righteousness. You will be enriched in every way for your great generosity, which will produce thanksgiving to God through us. For the rendering of this ministry not only supplies the needs of the saints, but also overflows with many thanksgivings to God. Through the testing of this ministry, you glorify God by your obedience to the confession of the gospel of Christ and by the generosity of your sharing with them and with all others, while they long for you and pray for you because of the surpassing grace of God that he has given you. Thanks be to God for his indescribable gift. This is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. You may be seated. How many of you, when you were a kid, built your own house of some kind? Lots of us did. 
The easiest way that I remember to do it was to drag the card table from out of the spare bedroom, set it up, and then grab an old blanket somewhere, throw the blanket over the card table, and voila, you had your own cave, you had your own house, you had your own place that you could escape to to get away from mom and dad, who obviously didn't know how to run anything. If you were a little more sophisticated, maybe you built a tree house. How many of you built tree houses in your lifetime? That's fantastic. How many of you fell out of the tree houses that you built? Yes, indeed. This does not surprise me. <laughs> My brother and I grew up, of course, in New Mexico. There weren't many trees suitable for building a house. And so we often would build our own house, actually we called it a fort, out in the arroyo behind the house. Now an arroyo, some people might call a creek or a crick, depending on what part of the country you're from. But in New Mexico, the arroyos never have water in them except for maybe once a year. We grew up on what was then the outskirts of town, and we grew up with an arroyo just behind us that had been used for many, many years, many years earlier, as the town dump. This confirms your suspicions about me. <laughs> I grew up next to the town dump. Now, by the time we were growing up, there was no active trash, I suppose you could say. There were only old bottles and cans and all sorts of interesting things that had been thrown out into this arroyo, and my brother loved to explore and to dig and to collect some of the things that were still somewhat intact. And several times I remember growing up, we would grab some old boards from Dad's shop and set them up as shelves and create a little fort that had its own supplies, that had its own furnishings. That's how we built our house. As we grow up, we build more houses, don't we? Sometimes we build 25,000 square foot mansions with maybe many dwellings on the same property. Sometimes we build 1,200 square foot cookie cutter tract homes out in the suburbs. I have several friends now who are retiring and they've sold the homes that they live in and they've sold all of the possessions they have and moved into a trailer home or a motor home and they're traveling around the country taking home with them. We know what it's like to lose a home. Many of us have been at the smoldering ruins left from wildfires. I've had the privilege of gathering with people in their 300-square-foot homes in high-rise buildings across from the port in Beirut, homes that were utterly destroyed by a huge explosion a year and a half ago. I've been with people in their homes made out of plastic and scrap wood and metal, homes built in the Bekaa Valley in Lebanon as people have escaped from Syria. There are lots of kinds of homes that people live in. We've been talking about home every Sunday morning since the beginning of September. The kind of home that we find within the heart of God and within the heart of God's people. So today let's talk about what it takes to build 
a home. If you're ready to build a home, you might call up an architect and ask for some plans to be drawn. You might go online and just draw some from there. You might decide if you're going to build your own home to go down to Dixie Line or Home Depot or Lowe's and collect up some materials and start building. You might first start by finding a, a spare piece of property somewhere, some bare dirt that you can build your home on. There's something common in that whole process, and that is that you can't build a home unless you do some work. All the stuff on the shelves at Dixie Line won't build itself. The plans won't suddenly just grow into a house. Building a home, whether it's a fort in the arroyo or a plastic tent in the desert or a beautiful, beautiful dwelling like the ones in our area, it all takes work. And so what does it take to build a spiritual home? To build a place where you can come and be for a while with God, with other people who love God. A place where you can hear about Jesus and learn from other folks about Jesus and learn how to follow Jesus and actually practice that following. A place where you can teach other people about Jesus because they need to know too. A place where you can organize yourselves into groups that can do more than you can do just by yourself. God made it so that we must have spiritual homes. There is no other way to actually love God unless you love God in the life of the spiritual household that is his church. Paul and the early apostles all, of course, knew that simple fact. And so they went about the business of building homes, spiritual homes. They went out into the civilized world, every place they could possibly go, no matter how small the village, no matter how large and imposing the city. They went and built spiritual homes. Sometimes we call them churches where people could hear about Jesus and teach about Jesus and learn to follow Jesus. And when following Jesus got tough, to get some encouragement, to get some strength, to get some other folks to carry you along. As he wrote to the church in Corinth, Paul spoke about some of what it takes to build a church home. He talked about God's lavish generosity in giving us everything that we have, and he asked us to be lavish in our generosity with others so that they could have God too. He talked about the fact that God calls us to give cheerfully and freely only from what we have already been given. He talked about the fact that when we are generous, when we actually build a place where we can be at home with God, that not only will it bless those who live in 
that home, but it will bless others when they see the beautiful dwelling place that God has built and the beautiful people that God is building within it, and they will want to be part of it too. He talked about the fact that not only in life itself, but especially in the life of faith in Christ, that we reap what we sow. When we give generously, when we give of every way that we possibly can, the investment, the return is amazing. Paul was speaking, of course, about so many different kinds of of giving. He was talking about prayer and participating in community life in the church and serving other people's needs. And then he had to get down to a place, an aspect of what we need to give. Let me enter that particular place by telling you a story. Years ago when our first grandchild was about five years old. We took her to one of those pizza places where the pizza is terrible. But every parent has been to those places because it's not about the pizza. It's about the games and all the other exciting things they have to do at this place that also happens to sell pizza. We walked into this particular place and knew full well to expect everything that was coming, but this one thing happened that I didn't expect. Our granddaughter walked straight past the tables where the pizza was being served. We were hungry, but that made no difference. She walked straight over to the games and the toys. And as we got to that junction place between where the restaurant left off and the toys and games began, she stopped dead in her tracks. She was holding my hand, and she looked up at me. And she said, Grandpa, we need some money. (laughs) How much more obvious do I have to get? (laughs) You can't do anything much in life that has much impact over time, especially building a home without some money. Our homes are threatened by many different things, sometimes by wildfires or warfare or neglect or misuse. Our spiritual home can be threatened by the wildfires of pandemic life, by warfare over issues in culture that distract us from our common faith in Jesus Christ. Our spiritual home can be threatened by neglect and disuse and misuse as we take the church for granted and don't attend, don't participate, don't support with our money. Well, friends, either the church is worth your time and money or it's not. Either the church is worth continuing to build and to maintain and to expand, or it's not. I propose that it is worth it. And so we're asking you in this stewardship season to think about what the church is worth to you. Is it worth having a home for the life of your soul? 
for the life of all those who do not yet know the forgiveness and the love and the healing and the joy and the strength of following Jesus. We all need to come together in hope to participate, to be with each other, to give of ourselves in our study and prayer and mission and the fun of fellowship. And we need to give our money to undergird the rest of that. We need to give what it takes to keep building this church, which is our spiritual home, where we meet Jesus and lead others to know Jesus as well. We do reap what we sow. As we sow to the life of the Spirit, as we sow to the life of God's family, which is this church and churches around the world, we will reap the benefits that come from following the one true Lord and Master and Savior of all that He is. And so let us come together in hope. Amen. Thank you, Jack. Let us re respond to God's word by affirming our faith through the sacred words of 1 John in one voice and one heart. Beloved, let us love one another because love is from God. Everyone who loves is born of God and knows God. Whoever does not love does not know God, for God is love. God's love was revealed among us in this way. God sent his only son into the world so that we might live through him. In this is love, not that we love God, but that he loved us and sent his son to be the atoning sacrifice for our sins. Beloved, since God loved us so much, we also ought to love one another. No one has ever seen God. If we love one another, God lives in us, and his love is perfected in us.
The ancient Hebrew people built a place that they called a tabernacle. It was a tent, a place where God was understood, where he could come and live with the people. Hundreds and hundreds of years later, Jesus appeared on the scene, and people began to see that in Jesus, God was living with them, not just in a tent, not just in the words of ancient scripture, not just in the mysterious presence of his spirit, but in flesh and blood like one of us. God made his home with us, among us, and called us to come together to be a home with each other, for each other, and then for the sake of the world. You cannot be a faithful follower of Jesus Christ all by yourself, all alone, all the time. Jesus called the disciples to be with him and to begin to build a home for people of faith and then to call people of no faith to have faith and to live the life of Jesus Christ. That's who we are. That's why we're here. Every home needs a little bit of maintenance now and then. Every home needs some tender, loving care. Our call is to maintain and to grow the household of faith that was entrusted to us by generations who came before and to leave it to generations who will come after. So let's build the house and let's build it well. May the grace of our Lord Jesus Christ, the love of God and the fellowship of the Holy Spirit be with us today and always. Let God's people say together, Amen.